Well, welcome church. Good to see everyone here. Thank you for being a part of this service. Good to have all of you. Thank you all of you who are joining online. So excited about this brand new series we're going to get started on. And I love that video you just saw. Those are all scenes of Colorado. Don't we live in a beautiful place, guys? I mean, we could be living in West Texas or something like that. I mean, it's, this is a, some of you lived in West Texas. I'm sorry to insult you. Um, but I'm uh, so glad you're here. I'm excited about this series. I'm expecting God to move? Are you expecting God to move? I'm just expecting God to move. Uh, Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you for the breath in our lungs. Thank you, God, for this beautiful day, for the snow and the sunshine and everything in between. Would you just have your way here, God? Holy Spirit, move in us and through us, certainly by your grace. Move in and through me. Uh, I, I want to do a good job for you. I want to be a good vessel for you, Lord. So I, I've done my best during the week to, to honor you every day and night, God. And, and I thank you for your mercy over my life. And now I pray that you just anoint this message. Uh, we don't need to hear from my wisdom, Lord, the little it is. We want to hear from you, God. So God, move in a powerful way. And, and would you just humble yourself before the Lord right now and, and just give him permission and just tell him, uh, God, right now, I humble myself before you. Give me the spirit of John the Baptist <laughs> and speak to me. I want to I honor you with my life, and I invite you to change my heart, change my life, do whatever you want. Help me to, uh, to see you in a new way, God. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I was in San Antonio and I asked someone that question. I, I, I posed it to them. But that's a big question. That is the biggest question you'll entertain in your entire life. It's the biggest question you'll entertain today. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a, a, some sort of a religious uh, figure from the past? Is, is he a historical figure? Um, is he someone that you would look at and say, oh, he's the son of God? Is he just another religious figure in your life? Was he a good teacher? Um, was he, uh, is he your parent's savior? Is he your Lord and savior today? Do you follow him completely? Or do you follow him partially who is Jesus to you? That question right there will drive your entire life. It'll drive all of your habits. It'll drive your relationships. It'll drive what you watch on, on YouTube or TikTok or, or Netflix or whatever it is. It will drive what you do on the weekends. It'll drive everything you do. Who is Jesus to you? Now, we can con cognitively just kind of say, oh, well, I, I believe he is uh, the son of God. But we may not be living it out. We may not truly be living it out. So, so I think much of our life is this journey of discovering who is Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a life changer, a heart changer? Uh, who is Jesus to you? It affects everything about you. And today, that's the question we're looking at. We're in this brand new series called The Gospel of Mark. Anybody excited about this series? You put your hands together if you're excited about this series. I'm super excited about this series. I've been looking forward to this series. And uh, uh, what we're looking at over the next 12 weeks, all the way to Resurrection Weekend, we'll be going through the chapters of Mark. So uh, this coming, uh, today and this weekend, we're looking at 
at the first two chapters of Mark. It's the only weekend we're looking at two chapters. All the other weekends we'll be looking at one chapter. It just so happened to fall like this um, today. But, uh, but this, uh, this Gospel of Mark, I want to give you a little bit of backdrop before we jump into this book because it's an amazing, amazing book. Um, <clears throat> we do not know who wrote this book. We do not know who, Bible scholars don't know who wrote this book. Most people think it's, the, it's Mark. Well, Mark, incidentally, wasn't even a disciple. He wasn't a disciple. And, and really, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, the, most people believe it was Mark, but we don't know for sure. In fact, he was an associate of Simon Peter. So Simon Peter was like a spiritual mentor for Mark. And some people think Simon Peter wrote the gospel of Mark. Just don't know it. In fact, John Mark is the same John Mark that you read about in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. His mother was a Christian, a very prominent Christian. And in fact, the early church, they used to do church in her house. So in Mark's mom's house, they used to do church in, in, the, in, in, in Jerusalem. She was a prominent Christian. She was a wealthy Christian. And that's where it happened. Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Joined joined him. And at the end of Paul's life, he called for Mark to be with him. So Paul knew Mark as well. The date of this this book, most scholars believe it was written between AD 55 and 59. Somewhere between 55 and 59. In fact, it was the first gospel to be written before Matthew, before Luke, and before John. It's the first gospel. And and really, uh, it's written... For, for believers who live in Rome. So these are Gentiles who live in Rome, and he's writing to them. So everything about this book, it makes sense if you understand the audience was these Roman believers. That's who was there. And, and if anybody have ADD, anybody struggle with ADD, you have a kid with ADD, you will love Mark. Because Mark jumps all over the place. It's like he has ADD, spiritual ADD, and he just moves over and over. In fact, throughout the Gospel of Mark, he emphasizes his actions, the actions of Jesus, more than even the teachings of Jesus. So when you read the Gospel of Mark, it's like you're reading this, and all of a sudden it jumps to another scene, and you're like, okay, we're here now. And then it jumps to another scene, okay, we're here now. And then you just see that throughout the Gospel of Mark. Now, when Bible translators go to a people they've never had, never known, never known before, and they, they look at scripture that they've never seen before, did you know the Gospel of Mark is the most translated gospel in the world? Part of it is because there's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. It's relatively short. It's one of the shortest books. So all over the stage here, guys, we have props, and I love the props that we have. You guys can get your get camera shots of the props. Um, it's so cool. And we, all these props represent the story that we find in the Gospel of Mark. We find fishermen, uh, we, we find a cot, we, we find a cross, we find fish and loaves, and we find a bucket and a towel, and, uh, and, and you just see these stories in the Gospel of Mark, and, and, and it, they all say so, so much. The Gospel of Mark is broken up into three parts. So here's an overview of the entire book, all 16 chapters. First part, part one, is all about Galilee, and it's chapters one through eight. That's all about his time in Galilee, and the question they're working through is, who is Jesus? That's chapters one through eight, who is Jesus? Part two is kind of a road trip. It's the in-between stage. It's part, uh, chapters eight through 10. 
And that's what's happening there. They're on this, and you see the passion of Christ in chapters 8 through 10. And then part 3, which is chapters 11 through 16, is all about Jerusalem. So when you look at the Gospel of Mark, you see him start his ministry in Galilee, and then it's just a journey all the way to Jerusalem. And that's what you, that's what you see. So we're like walking in the steps of Christ. So let's jump into this, guys. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, starts off like this. This is the good news. You know what, guys? Let's read this out loud. Let's read it with some boldness. It's a great, great verse to read out loud. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Who is he called? The Son. And you look at these titles right here. Jesus, which means Yahweh saves or Jehovah saves, the Lord is salvation. He's called the Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one. And then he's called the son of God. He's the very nature of the son of God. And it's all called good news. This, that's where we get evangelical from. It's good news. Now, this is different from, you know, the good news that you may have gotten at some point in your life. Like, uh, you know, I got a great discount, you know, kind of thing. I got a great deal on this jacket. You know, good news, wife. I got a good deal when I went shopping or whatever. Or good news, I got a great parking spot. Or, or good news, I just bought a house. Or good news, I just bought a new car. Or good news, I just got that job I've been wanting. Or good news, I just had that interview. Or, or good news, I got a great tip. Or good news, I got tested negative. You know, I don't, I don't have COVID or whatever. Or good news, I got a bonus or a raise. Or I'm getting married or we're pregnant. Or I'm going to this school or I've been accepted into this school. This good news is completely different. This is life-changing, worldwide, historical good news. Here's the first thing you need to hear. Jesus is the Savior for all humanity. Jesus is the Savior for all humanity. And Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off saying, this is the good news. This is the good news. The ancient Greek word for gospel is good news. And, and, you know, incidentally, this phrase, good news, Mark is, or we can assume it's Mark, it might be Peter or someone else, but Mark is, is borrowing a phrase that Romans used to use to announce a great event that the emperors of Rome would, would introduce, or a new emperor would come in. So that word was a common word during that day. But Mark borrows that word, and he says, no, 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 here's good news. Here's good news. He totally rips off the Romans. <laughs> totally rips off the Romans with this phrase. And he says, here's good news. The good news that Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, is coming to the world. And you got to remember who's Mark writing to. These are Romans. These are Gentiles. These are believers in Rome. They're not Jews. And that's important to know because when you look at the other gospels, they're a little bit different. Because Matthew, he writes to Jewish, a Jewish audience. And that's why when you look at the book of Matthew, what does he do? It's all genealogy, all the way starting with Abraham. It's all that so-and-so was born here and begot this as the father, the father of this. And it goes all the way from Abraham, all the way to Mary and Joseph, and then Christ. So that's how it's different. It doesn't start off with, with the genealogy because Rome doesn't care. Roman believers don't care. They're Gentiles. They don't care. And then when you look at, at Luke, what does Luke start off with? Well, Luke starts off with the birth of Christ. It's a beautiful story of the birth of Christ. Well, Rome really doesn't care about that much either. 
And then you look in, in John. John starts off in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. And he talks about the beginning of creation. Well, Mark doesn't start off with that either. You know what Mark starts off with? Look at this. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Now, this is one of the few times in the book of Mark that the Old Testament is actually cited. Look, and this comes out of Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Well, it starts off with this story about this messenger. And who's the messenger? John the Baptist. So Mark starts off, doesn't start off with a birth, doesn't start off with a genealogy, doesn't start off with the word. He starts off with John the Baptist and says, look, here's John the Baptist. His job is to prepare the way for the Lord. That's the job of John the Baptist. And, and it's like, look, look, here he is, here he is. And the message is, the Lord is coming. And, and, and you see this, and, and verse 4 says, this messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now, baptism was not an unfamiliar thing during this day. Many times, um, Gentiles would be baptized to become Jews. So that was something that happened, but this is different. John the Baptist is there, and his whole job is to lift up Jesus, to prepare the way. You know, Jesus later on said that John the Baptist was the greatest man to ever walk the planet. And when you think about that, John, John the Baptist, his whole job was to live a selfless life. Think about that a little bit. It was not about puffing himself up. It wasn't about letting other people know, you know, I want you to know how smart I am. I want you to know uh, my resume. I want you to know every, all my accomplishments. I want you, you know, we do that in conversation many times. We want other people to know how important we are, how smart we are, all of our accomplishments. We want people to know who we are. We're just it and everything with a bag of chips. I mean, we're just everything. John the Baptist wasn't like that. John the Baptist's whole life, a very short life, his whole life was, I want to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm preparing the way for Jesus. And he's inviting people to get baptized, to turn from their sins. That word repent means a change of mind. And he said, I just want, you need to get ripe. You need to be spiritually ripe because the Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is about to come. So you need to become spiritually ripe. This is important to know. I just want you to know this is the way God works. Many times God prepares the road before he, he accomplishes his will. He prepares the way before his will is exposed. So sometimes he'll prepare your heart. He'll prepare your heart because he knows you need to, your heart needs to be ripe. You need to be ready to receive God's word. You need to be ready to say yes to God. And sometimes he'll prepare your heart. And when your heart is prepared and it's ripe, all of a sudden you're receptive to the will of God. And that's why there's some people that go to church for a long time. And then at some point and wherever it happens, they're like, all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and they're like, okay, I need to get right with God or whatever it is. Or maybe you're, 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 you're sharing your faith with someone or whatever it might be. 
We did baptism last week. Wasn't that so much fun, guys? Baptism. I'm just like, I watched that video over and over, and Grace will tell you, I've just been crying. She's like, again, Ruben? I'm like, I can't stop watching this thing. It's so good. I'm just crying. It reminds me of why we're doing what we're doing. Really, it does. One of the testimonies, one of the people we baptized was Paula. Ironically, in Paula's testimony that she sent to me, she talks about John the Baptist. And she says this. She said, John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 30, it's so cool. She's quoting a verse to me. She says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And that was the life of John. When John saw Jesus, he said, he must become greater and I must become less. I must, he must increase and I must decrease. Think about that life. Think, what, what, what would happen if that was your mantra? I mean, if that was your passion, your purpose in life, you had a John the Baptist purpose. And your purpose was, he must increase and I must decrease. And that was your mission in life. Every day, you woke up thinking, he must increase and I must decrease. Would your life look different today? Would your attitude look different today? Would your decisions look different today? She goes on to say, well... Thinking about making my decision to get baptized, this verse jumped out at me. Glory to God. I hear Pastor Reuben in service talk about cleaning out your cup to become closer to God. In the past couple years, there have been a lot of ups and downs in my life. Before becoming a Christian, I would handle most of those things by burying them until I would eventually have to deal with them. Oh, we do that, don't we? And it would become a spiral effect of depression, self-condemnation, anxiety, and feeling alone. She would just bury it all. We've, we've all been guilty of that. I now have a clearer understanding of what it means to become less and less of myself and greater and greater of him. She's talking John the Baptist stuff right now. <clears throat> when, I, I, when I have my, my ears, eyes, thoughts, and arms open to the possibility of God's love for me, I can see the blessings in those hard times. And he will always help me get through. I pray more often. I am thankful more often. I enjoy worshiping him always. That a great side effect. When you live a life like John the Baptist and you say, God, Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. Do you know you actually become a thankful, gratitude person, a grateful person? It all of a sudden affects your agenda. It affects everything around you. She says, but best of all, I love more often. And I'm not afraid to speak on what God has done for me. Isn't that beautiful? Can we just put our hands together for that beautiful testimony? It's so cool. She has beautiful girls. And, and when someone says, you know, Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease it doesn't only affect your life, it affects everyone, everyone around you. So who is Jesus? Mark chapter 9, here, or 1, verse, verse 9, he says this. Well, scripture says this. One day Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. There he is. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And look at verse 11. This is a big moment. Here it comes. And a voice from heaven said, what church? Let's read it out loud. 
You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Isn't that beautiful? I think in all of us, we want to please our father, especially if we respect them, don't we? There's something in us that we want to please our parents, our mom. We just want to hear, especially we value them. Maybe it's a boss or a coach or whatever it is. You want to hear that. And, and here, Scripture says, God speaks audibly from heaven. Do you know how many times God spoke audibly from heaven in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus? Three times. You'll have to do research on what the other two are, but there's three. I don't want to tell you. I want you to do research. There's, there's three. And here's the message here. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the son of God. That's the message. Is Jesus the son of God? Here God himself speaks and says, you are, you are my, my dearly beloved son and you bring me great joy. Jesus is the son of God. Now this is a, a big moment. You can only imagine, you know, when I baptize people like last week, I, I feel so fortunate that I have a front row seat to life transformation. And I see them go down underwater. I want to make sure we get a, a camera shot of them going down underwater next time. But I see them going underwater and I always make sure I push them down enough to get them all wet. You know, I just want them to get all wet. But there's something about seeing them come up. And usually when they come up, they're a little bit scattered. They have lights on them and there's applause and all of that stuff. And they're trying to get that. And I just want to, I want them to, I want them to enjoy the moment. I want them to just relax. And I could only imagine Jesus coming out of the water and hearing a voice from heaven and everyone hearing it saying, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. I think this would be a high point for Jesus. It's a high point for everyone who gets baptized. But verse 12, 12 and 13 say this. The Spirit then compelled, look, look how quickly Mark jumps. Do you see he goes from one scene to another? The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for, for how many days, church? For how many days? 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Wow. There's so much in these two verses. When you look at the Gospel of Matthew, you see this huge passage about the conversation between Satan and Jesus and the temptations that Satan threw at Jesus. But here in the Gospel of Mark, it's two verses. The Spirit compels him to go out into the wilderness. You know, sometimes I think the Spirit of God compels us to go to desolate places. I think sometimes the Spirit of God compels us to go to these lonely places, this wilderness place. And I think sometimes the Spirit of God does that because um, we can hear the Word of God better when there is no competition. We can hear the Word of God better when we have no distractions. And there's something about us going out to those places that exposes much of us here. And I want, I want to say this nice and loud. Um, <clears throat> walking with Jesus is a spiritual battle. Walking with Jesus is a spiritual battle. You see, the first thing that happened to Jesus, before he even starts his ministry, he's baptized and he immediately goes into the wilderness to be tempted. And, and you see this, the spirit compels him to go to the wilderness. He's tempted for how many days? 40 days. He's by himself. And angels minister to him. And there's, there's a spiritual battle when you choose to follow Jesus. You need to, you need to wrap your arms around that and understand that. Uh, we don't fight against flesh and blood. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a spiritual battle. 
It's not against that person. It's not against your husband or your wife or your boss or whoever or your friend or your neighbor. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. The root cause for any kind of division or arguments or fights is pride and sin. That's the root cause. Self-centeredness. And walking with Jesus is a spiritual battle. And it's important for us to keep that in mind because you can be naive and, and walk into a fight and not expect a fight. You could be naive and get beaten up spiritually and not realize you're getting beaten up spiritually. Here's the promise. Here's the promise when sometimes when God might lead you to the wilderness. Hear this. Jesus is with you. Glory to God. Isn't it good that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you? And it doesn't matter where you're at or how desolate the place is or how lonely the place is. Because we could have our own wilderness. We can be in a desolate place and be in a desolate place in a crowded room. We could be in a desolate place and be in our own home and be at another desolate. You know what I'm saying? We could be at that place. We could be in a desolate place and nobody knows it. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, whatever it is, we can be in a dark place and nobody knows it. But we have this promise that Jesus is with us. And then I want to say this. God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're capable of enduring. He knows your strength. He's not going to put you in a situation that you cannot overcome. We have this incredible promise. Now, we have free will, and he'll allow us to make those decisions that we make. But we have this promise from God that he'll never allow us to go through anything you can't endure. And I want you to hear this. God's grace will carry you. Glory to God. Have, you know, you've been there before where you go to that desolate place, and you're alone, and you make the decision that you don't want to make. But God's grace is there. Glory to God. I'm so grateful that the grace of God is greater than my grace, our grace. Aren't you glad? Jesus reminded us in another place that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Walking with Jesus is a spiritual battle. Verse 14 says, later on, here he goes. Mark is jumping to another scene here. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. So now he's starting his preaching ministry. He's in Galilee. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Now he's talking about the kingdom of God now. And, and repent of your sins and believe the good news. So I want you to see Jesus is picking up where John the Baptist left off. John the Baptist talked about repent for the kingdom of God is here. Well, when you look at this verse here, verse 15, Jesus is preaching the same thing that John the Baptist was preaching. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. This is good news. And he said, does this in Galilee. Galilee during this time had about 3 million people. You know how many people live in the, Den in the Denver metro area in 2022? 2.9 million. Pretty close. And he's preaching about the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? I love the way Brennan Manning described the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom is not an exclusive, well-trimmed suburb with snobbish rules about who can live there. No. It is for a larger, homelier, less self-conscious cast of people who understand they are sinners because they have experienced the yaw and pitch of moral struggle. 
He's such a wordsmith, the way he puts things together, he strings words together. But that's what it is. The kingdom of God is made up of these people who know they're sinners. They know they need the grace of God, and they're turning to God, and the kingdom of God is at work. I'm so grateful that God uses Thorn Creek Church to build his kingdom. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, glory to God. I'm so grateful that God uses our, 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 our online ministry to reach souls. Praise the Lord. And Jesus says, repent for your sins and believe the good news. Then he transitions, verse 21, and he starts talking about different things. Verses 21 through 45, he starts exerting his authority. So he, he, he preaches this good news. He tells people, you got to repent. You got to get right with God. And then all of a sudden, people start experiencing a side of Jesus that they've never seen before. And he starts showing these, he starts demonstrating, like, like he's flexing his muscles a little bit. Verse 21 says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Now, the teachers of religious law, they would quote Old Testament prophecy. They would quote the writings of Moses and, and uh, Isaiah and, and all the other scripture that you find in the, in the Pentateuch. And, and you, he'd quote, they'd quote that. But Jesus preached with authority. With authority. Now, keep in mind, it's been about 400 years since anybody's heard the word of God. There's been this period of silence and Jesus is now teaching with authority, and they can tell that he's teaching, and his teaching is different. And then he exerts, he does these miracles, and I just want to go through them. Well, you know, what is a miracle? One, one definition says this is a miracle, an event that involves the direct and powerful action of God, transcending the ordinary laws of nature and defying common expectations of behavior. I like that definition. Have you ever experienced a legit miracle? Did it change you? Are you living different today because of that miracle? Verse 23, here comes the miracles. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's important to know demons know who Jesus is. In fact, demons many times know Scripture. Demons know who Jesus is more than others, uh, more than others. Verse 25, but Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man. He ordered at that. The evil spirit screamed threw the man into convulsion, into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. Now, you got to understand, Jesus is coupling the teaching with miracles. And the miracles are authenticating his teaching. That's what's happening. And people are like, yep, I know him. He's just another Jewish rabbi. I understand. Yep, he's just another religious figure. He's just another talking head. But then he starts doing these miracles, and they're like, well, I thought I knew who Jesus was. But this is, 
I thought I knew who this man was. And here's the first thing you have to hear. Jesus has authority over all demons. Glory to God. There's no demon that you will face in your life that is greater than Jesus Christ. And you can cast any demon out in the name of Jesus Christ. That demon of drunkenness, that demon of lust, that demon of greed, that demon of anger, that demon of whatever it is, you fill in the blank. There's no demon greater than the name of Jesus Christ. No demon greater. Glory to God. So when you face that demon, whatever it is, and it's in the nighttime, you just say, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. You can be alone in your bedroom or you can be in your car, wherever you're at. The name of Jesus is so powerful. The demons tremble. The demons tremble. Verse 28 says the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then everybody say then with me, then the fever left her. And she prepared a meal for them. Wow. This reminds us, Jesus has authority over any fever. Glory to God. And isn't that a good word today right now, guys, in this pandemic? It's like always a question, do you have a fever? Do you have a fever? You know, when I was in ICU, they gave me this ibuprofen pill. It was like a horse pill. It was the biggest ibuprofen pill I've ever seen in my life. And I took that thing and I said, Lord Jesus, in the name, in your name, Jesus, I just ask you to take away this fever. I do that so many times. And sometimes if, 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 if you know, I just pray for someone and I say, Lord, would you just heal this person? Take away this fever. In the, I know you can do it, Jesus. I know you can do it, Jesus. Take away this fever. In your name, use the name of Jesus, live a righteous life, live a holy life, live an obedient life. And you have this incredible power because of who Jesus is. He has authority over any fever. Verse 32 says that evening after sunset, many sick and demon possessed people were brought to Jesus. The word is out. Could you imagine guys? I mean, if Jesus was walking around, I, there was an excess of miracles because of Jesus and who he was and who he is, obviously. But, you know, he would put hospitals and hospital insurance companies out of business, and it would be a glorious thing, wouldn't it? The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons, but because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. And here's, here's the third authority that you see here. Jesus has authority over diseases. So you see Jesus, he goes like from this and he goes to like a fever. And then he's there, the, oh, well, he has a fever. Maybe he can heal us from this other disease. So they're bringing everything and they're wondering, you know, how, how big, how, how much can Jesus do? How many miracles? Is there anything he can? And they're realizing, oh, he, is, he has authority over everything. Authority over every disease. Verse 35 says, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up. Incidentally, the next morning, in the Greek language, that was around four o'clock in the morning. Anyone wake up at four in the morning to spend time with God? You might do that. Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I find that really interesting because the last time he was in an isolated place, he was tempted by Satan. Satan. 
The last time. The last time. Verse 36 says, Later, Simon and the others went out to find him when they found him, because he went out at 4 o'clock in the morning and everybody's sleeping. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. You wake up at the crack of noon every day. I understand. Later, Simon and the went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. I want to say this about isolated places. Isolated places expose your spiritual life. Sometimes you feel strong when the right people are around you, right? You feel strong when things are going well. You feel strong when things, good things are happening. You have this like, oh, I'm pretty strong. But isolated places expose the strength of your foundation. Those isolated places where you feel alone, where you feel betrayed, where you feel like maybe God's not around or whatever it is, that isolated place, uh, those places expose who you really are. Jesus went to isolated places because he wanted to get away from all of the other people who were coming to him, who needed healing and, and demons casted out or whatever it is, and he wants to get alone. Here's what you learned from Jesus right here. He understands the value of spending time with his heavenly father. He understands where his strength comes from. I was talking to someone um, this week, and they, they wanted to go have lunch for me, and, and they were talking about, you know, the stuff that I work through and, and all the stuff that deal with, you know, pastors have to be so much. You have to be strategists and counselors and property managers and preachers and accountants. And I mean, there's just a lot. And, and, and some weeks are better than others and some are heavier than others. It's just kind of the life of a pastor. But I told him, I told him, you know, my strength comes from is just spending time with Jesus. I need to spend time with Jesus every day. If I don't spend time with Jesus, I'm just not a great person at all. Jesus understood. He understood that he needed to eliminate distractions out of his life. I look at this and I think, what, what can we learn from Jesus here at this point? And here's what we can learn. Jesus didn't let other people determine his alone time with God. Jesus did not let the demands of the day affect his alone time with his heavenly father. And the other thing you, we can learn from Jesus is this. He was not a slave to the calendar. You know, you can be a slave to the calendar and to tasks. And he understood he needed strength from God to stay focused. He needed strength from God to stay focused. When you don't spend time with the Lord Jesus, it affects every part of your life. Verse 38, they found him and he says, but Jesus replied, we, we must go on to the other towns as well and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. So Jesus is telling them, look, here's my purpose, guys. And, and you get the impression in the gospel of Mark, just like many of the other gospels, that the disciples are just trying to play catch up. <laughs> Not catch up, catch up. <laughs> they're trying to play catch up. And they're like, what, what are we doing here? Why? I, I think he's going to go over here. He's, he's, I don't know, he's casting out some of the, where is he at? He's out in the wilderness. I don't know what he's doing over there. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. We need to continue on and we need to go to this next city. That's why I came to preach the gospel. Verse 39 says, so he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. 
A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. And he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. I think this is an incredibly unique way to phrase this. This man who has leprosy says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can, you can heal me. Do you hear his faith in there? See, he recognizes the healing is in the hands of the Lord. It's a good way to put it. Sometimes I think Jesus says, my grace is enough. And I want you to walk through this, walk with this. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes Jesus chooses not to heal. And he says, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. In verse 41, it says, moved with compassion. Incidentally, that word compassion there, it's the same word that you read in the feeding of the 5,000 when he heard that the people were weary and tired and hungry. Same word. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly. Say instantly with me. Instantly. Just clap one time. Just instantly. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared And the man was healed. Could you imagine? Instantly, just just like that. Guy is full of leprosy and just like that, he's healed. And when you keep reading this passage, Jesus provides some Old Testament principles. And he says, okay, you need to go to the temple and show yourselves to the priests. You need to do that. And here's, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus has authority over incurable diseases. Those diseases that we don't know how to, how to treat. Leprosy was a horrible disease. People had to stay, coincidentally, six feet away from anyone who had leprosy. They had to stay six feet away. And they had to live outside of town. They had all these rules about what they couldn't touch. And all they were considered unclean by the Hebrews, by Jews. They were spiritually unclean. There was a reason associated with their leprosy. People believed they had sin in their life and that's why they were lepers. And Jesus heals them. In Mark chapter two says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the houses where he was staying at was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door while he was preaching God's word to them. I want to stop right there. I didn't plan on sharing this with you, but in in the green room, the Lord showed this to me. In my Bible, you can't see it from where where you're at maybe, but uh, in my Bible, that verse right there, verse two, many were gathered so that there was no longer room. This is NASB, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. The Lord showed me that verse on May 14, 2006. May 14, 2006. And you know what the Lord told me? He told me, Reuben, you preach the word. And I will draw people and I will speak to people. Your job is to preach the word. And you see, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is preaching the word, isn't he? He's preaching God's word to them. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Sometimes we need someone to carry us. Sometimes we don't have the strength to even get healed. Sometimes we need someone else to say, I need you to pick me up. (laughs) I need you to take me where I know I need to go. I can't go there on my own. 
Four men carried him on a mat. Here's our mat right here, guys. This is it right here. It's hanging up there in the wall. There he is. There it is right there. That's, that's, that's that prop right there, carrying him on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, you're what? You're... It's an incredible story. I, I, told, um, I told our creative team, you know what would be cool is to like put a body on the mat above us. But then I thought that might be a little distracting if we did that. And uh, anyway, someone, well, I think Pastor Jeremy offered to lay in it, but I didn't want to do that. But uh, God bless him. But, but seeing their faith, the scripture says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Oh, there's nothing greater then your sins being forgiven. And here Jesus is saying this, he has authority to forgive sins. Jesus is saying he has, I mean, he, his authority doesn't stop, stop with, with, with uh, delivering someone from demon possession. It doesn't stop from delivering someone who has a fever. It doesn't stop from healing someone who has leprosy. It doesn't stop with any of those things. And in fact, it keeps going and he has authority to forgive sins. Right on the spot. Now, in the, in the Old Testament world, during the days of, you know, Moses, I mean, to, for you to experience the forgiveness of sins was quite a process involving animal sacrifices. There was no drive-through place for forgiveness. <laughs> it was work. It was work. And Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. Glory to God. Do you need your sins to be forgiven today? Do you need your sins to be forgiven? I need my sins to be forgiven. I don't know about you, but put me in the front of the line. I need my sins to be forgiven. I need, in Old Testament talk, I need my intentional sins to be forgiven. And I need my unintentional sins to be forgiven. And Jesus turns to this paralyzed man. Now this paralyzed man, we don't know a whole lot about what kind of sins has he committed. The guy's paralyzed. Maybe he's been having a theater in his mind and maybe he's been saying things out of his mouth. Maybe he's been tearing people around him in his home. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't a fun guy to be around. Maybe the other men who picked him up just knew this guy's just a mess. He's a hot mess. We need to take him to Jesus because none of us can stand him anymore. I don't know. But whatever it was, Jesus shows everyone he has authority to forgive. Do you need the grace of God? When you keep reading, and you read in Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 17. Verse 17. You know, Matthew, he, uh, he's a tax collector, and, and he follows Jesus. And um, um, all his friends are just like scum, is what Scripture says. I mean, he doesn't have any church friends, so to speak. They're, they're thieves, and they swindle their countrymen, and that's what they do. And, and so Scripture says that these tax collectors and other sinners were hanging out. In fact, the Pharisees said, why do you eat with such scum? And verse 17 says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. 
sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who what? Who know they are sinners. There's a difference. Do you know? Do you know you are a sinner? Do you know you need the grace of God? Jesus came for those who know they are sinners. That's why he came. He didn't come for those people that thought they had it all together. He didn't come for those people who, who just had all the knowledge and whatever it is. He came for those people who were keenly aware that they had sin in their life and they needed a savior. That's why he came. That's like, that's his audience right there. And you see that. And then verse 28, verse 28, Jesus says, the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So when you look at chapter one and two, who is Jesus? All you see is he teaches and then he shows everyone, I have authority over every demon. He teaches and then he shows everyone, I have authority over every fever. He teaches and shows everyone, I have authority over every disease. And he teaches and he says, I have authority over, over, over anything. I have authority over everything. I have authority to forget. Jesus is showing who he is. And Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Think about that, the weekend. So many times we say, well, Sunday's my only day off or I'm busy, whatever it might be. But think about this. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Every Sabbath, for us it's Sunday, every, every weekend, we do church on Saturday obviously as well, but every weekend the, the Sabbath is set apart for, to remind you that Jesus is Lord. To remind you that we are created to worship God. To remind you that we have a great God and he deserves all of our worship, all of our praise. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. That was his life mission, to prepare the way for the Lord. That's what he did. Mark chapter 1 and 2. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to the Lord. Maybe you're here and maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and maybe you don't know Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity as we walk through this series. Oh, don't miss church these next 16 weeks. Do not miss church. It is so rich. I'm excited about Mark chapter 3 uh, next weekend. I'm so excited about Mark chapter 3. But do not miss church. You will gain a new insight into who Jesus is. And it'll change your perspective of life today. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for coming into our crazy world. And thank you for the miracles. And thank you for the authority that you demonstrated. And thank you for the power in your name. And, and if you're ready to receive Jesus, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to... Come into my heart, and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Right now, I choose to become a Christian. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I turn to you. Others of you, maybe you need to say this. God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And my prayer today is, may you increase and may I decrease. Would you... Uh, 
do a work inside of me. Would you heal me? Would you heal me? Maybe you need the Lord to heal you from something that's going on in your body. Ask him for healness. Maybe it's something in your mind. Ask him to heal you. Maybe you feel some sort of demonic oppression. Ask him to heal you. Whatever it is, he's the Savior who heals. Lord Jesus, we turn to you. Thank you. We worship you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.